This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Camp Cloud is no more after RCMP and the city of Burnaby moved in early this morning to dismantle it and arrest the remaining demonstrators. The Mounties enforced a court injunction to take down Camp Cloud and extinguish what First Nations protesters considered a sacred fire. Reporter Jennifer Palma joins us now from Burnaby for the latest on the Camp Cloud demolition. And Jen, this was inevitable after the deadline on Sunday. Yes, and the demolition continues. Take a look at this. They are still taking down some of the structures that were not in compliance with the bylaws. So that is coming down. I'm told they will continue throughout today to get everything down and then put up the continuation of those concrete barricades. Now, a lot more peaceful than earlier today when 11 people were removed from here, five of them arrested and released. Love everyone! Just down here, please. Love you all! At 5.30 in the morning, Burnaby RCMP moved into Camp Cloud to clear it out, but not all protesters would leave easily. Some handcuffed, others removed by stretcher. Officials enforcing a court injunction that was granted on Friday, August 10th. Well, yesterday we actually went into the city of Burnaby and formally invited them to a, a gathering to have food here on the land and have another discussion. So I guess this was their response. We gave them 70, 72 hours notice uh, for compliance. They didn't comply with that. Um, so we had to go through the, through the courts. The city of Burnaby moved in to dismantle the camp, citing safety concerns regarding the structures and the sacred fire burning in tinder-dry conditions by tank farms. Residents in the area have mixed feelings about the situation. I was fine with them there, other than the fire. These people should have been gone in November when there was just two but you allowed it to grow, to grow, and grow. We have to clear this for our safety and everyone else's safety. RCMP enforced an exclusion zone that kept anyone, including media, out. Police say it was outlined in the court injunction. An RCMP spokesperson adding they didn't let camp residents know when they were coming for safety reasons and that this morning was the right time. With all the planning, we just needed that amount of time to organize ourselves and have enough resources and just to ensure that we were able to do this safely and protect everybody involved. The city is taking inventory of all the camp items so residents can claim them, which they might do as soon as possible. They and their supporters say they're coming back. There's no question uh, that we're going to continue uh, to oppose this project. The Watch House Camp remains here on Burnaby Mountain, and we are starting, we're resuming blockades on Monday, on August 20th. I did speak with some residents of Camp Cloud just a few moments ago, and they say they're not sure if they're going to take part in that blockade. However, the people at the Watch House, they're allowed to remain. They're just a few hundred meters away from where all this is taking place. The city says they are a peaceful group that is in compliance with bylaws, and that they've even reduced the size of their fire, so they're allowed to stay. In the meantime, though, the exclusion zone here in this area will remain in place. There is no time or date yet given as to when that will be lifted. Back to you.
All right, Jen, thanks very much for that. And the protests have been able to slow but not stop the Trans Mountain Pipeline project, at least not yet, but something else could. Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now. And Keith, there are still a number of court challenges going on. Exactly, Chris. And they are significant hurdles for Kinder Morgan to get over. So there are three at play and they're at various stages through the court process. First of all, you've got the B.C. government's uh, constitutional reference case in the B.C. Court of Appeal uh, challenging which level of government, provincial or federal, can control the flow of oil or bitumen through pipelines in the province. Secondly, you've got the municipality of Burnaby seeking leave to appeal to the Supreme Court of Canada, a case it lost earlier where it's been arguing it should have the power to uh, halt potentially halt permits, work permits for Kinder Morgan. That is yet to be determined whether the Supreme Court will hear that. And finally, the biggest one of all, and potentially the most important one, I think, 14 different challenges from First Nations and environmental groups have been bundled into one case in the Federal Court of Appeal, where they're challenging the, what the federal government's approval of the Kinder Morgan pipeline. There's a bit of a typo in the graphic. It's the uh, uh, cabinet approval of the pipeline. That, it could, that decision, Chris, could come at any day. We, it's been sitting there for a long time. It literally could come as early as tomorrow. Uh, if uh, Kinder Morgan loses that, presumably it would seek leave to appeal that further to the Supreme Court of Canada. So uh, the, sh the protests undoubtedly will be back on Burnaby Mountain. Uh, but even despite what happens there, these court challenges will work their way through the courts. And at the end of the day, we'll have the final say on whether that pipeline goes ahead, no matter how many protests there are. Well, we will be watching all of it. Thanks very much, Keith Baldry and Victoria tonight. Well, no let up in the B.C. wildfire fight today, one day after the province declared a state of emergency due to the growing number of fires. More than 550, uh, 560 fires are burning across B.C. right now. Tough to keep track of them all. Ten new fires sparked just today, most of those caused by lightning strikes. There are 46 wildfires of note, meaning fires threatening people and property or that are highly visible. The cost to control the flames so far about $234 million. Now, the largest fire burning in the province right now is the Shovel Lake wildfire. We now know it's more than 68,000 hectares. That's up from an estimated 50,000 yesterday, mostly because they got a better look at it today with some of that smoke clearing. One of the communities closest to that fire is Fraser Lake, and that's where we find our Richard Zisman tonight. Richard. And Chris, from here in Fraser Lake to Burns Lake, a lot of frustration about the fact that people don't feel they're getting the information they need. It's a welcome sight for the people of Burns Lake, a helicopter overhead. Because of the smoke, it's been days since one has been able to fight the fires. You want some too? Deborah Donnelly is in Burns Lake now, evacuated from her home six days ago, grabbing her five birds, turtle, cats and dogs on the way out. Her husband, Kelly Stockle, taking these pictures as they headed out of the community about an hour from Burns Lake. It is scary. It is scary because you just move here, you don't know anybody, you feel like you're kind of left out of the information loop. Down the road at the Burns Lake Band office, they are opening the door for evacuees, including this family who just got out yesterday from an area just south of Francois Lake. The kids were the hardest part leaving certain things behind that just didn't have room for them. The entire area is still covered in smoke from the Shovel Lake fire, growing overnight from 50,000 hectares to 68,000 hectares. In Fraser Lake, the firefight difficult because of that smoke. 
and we've got a lot of smoke in the area as you can see behind me. So visibility very poor on the fire. That does hinder our ability for our aircraft to respond to the wildfire. In the isolated area of Akooch, 75 kilometers northwest of Fort St. James, all 120 residents have been evacuated. But before that, those in the community came to help. For last donation, Nakazli, Fort St. James, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. They are among the more than 3,000 people in the province who have received evacuation orders. And there's concern that it will be a while until they can get home, as it remains hot and dry across the region. Richard Zussman, Global News, Fraser Lake. People, Chris, that are staying in this park that I'm standing in here, they have been evacuated. Their homes are actually on the other side of the water there. They can watch the smoke as it drifts in over top of where their homes are. They are frustrated with the government. They're frustrated that they have to drive from here to Burns Lake to get their vouchers so they can get food. That's two-hour round trip, and some of them have been told that they're expected to stay out of their homes until September. So they're obviously incredibly concerned about that. We don't know what will happen with the weather, but the expectation is that some of these people on evacuation will be out a long time, Chris. You know, we'll do our best to fill that information void as well, Richard. Thank you very much uh, for your reporting from Burns Lake. The air quality advisory remains in place throughout most of B.C., although we did see more blue sky in the lower mainland today. Can we get used to it? Well, we'll bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon with more on that now. Christy. Chris, yes, we were very lucky across the south coast today. Blue sky, the first time we've seen that in three days since Sunday, really, and it's thanks to some onshore flow. But that's not the case across much of the province. Looking at the NASA satellite image today, you can see widespread smoke still from the central interior all the way down through the south. And we have had some significant transport of the smoke across the country. It's just that we have so many fires producing so much smoke that it's just filling that air up again. So a high to very high air quality advisory for all of the inland regions, whereas the south coast, with that onshore flow, we've had significant improvement. No air quality advisory now for Vancouver Island. Metro Vancouver, we still have the air quality advisory, although our risk level is low. It's just the East Fraser Valley and Whistler at a moderate level. We will continue to see improvement tomorrow, Chris, but it won't last long. When I come back, I'll show you when we expect the smoke, smoke to return. All right, we'll check in then. Thank you, Christy. Some major developments now in the effort to raise a tugboat that capsized earlier this week near the mouth of the Fraser River. The vessel is now upright. Crews used a crane to lift the George H. Ledcore today. It sank off Deering Island overnight on Monday, carrying up to 22,000 liters of fuel. All four people on board made it safely to shore. Water will be pumped off the vessel into barges, and then the tug will be towed to a shop for repairs and offloading of the rest of the fuel. We're still trying to determine how much uh, diesel fuel was released into the Fraser River. Uh, we have uh, SCAT teams, that shoreline cleanup assessment technique uh, teams that are uh, uh, evaluating and assessing the, the shoreline to determine areas in which uh, sheening uh, may be present or was present and going back to take a look to see whether it's, it's still there. A frightening ordeal for a Surrey family in their own home, their baby sleeping in a bedroom when a truck came crashing through the wall, trapping the child. Jill Bennett has more on the heroic response from neighbors and first responders. 
A dramatic rescue, one that saw first responders cut through several walls to get to a baby trapped underneath this pickup truck. The crash happened around 9.30 Wednesday evening. Several neighbors heard the commotion and jumped in trying to help. That he pushed up bed and there is a 52 days old baby in there and uh, she fall down from the bed and the, the baby lying just four inches away from the tire. Manch says he could hear the baby crying, but neighbors didn't want to move anything, fearing it could make it worse. He says the truck tire narrowly missed the baby's head, but the axle was on her legs, causing bad bruising. Let's take one and a half hour to take the baby out because they need to cut the whole washroom, take the bed away, then the axle lying and then the baby under the, under, the, under the engine, under the engine of the truck. The baby girl is now recovering in hospital. It's unclear if the truck caused structural damage to the home. RCMP are now investigating what caused the crash. The 57-year-old driver of the truck has subsequently been released by the police, but the investigation is still ongoing. Witnesses say they saw a man running from the truck moments after it crashed into the basement and police took security camera footage from the home. All four doors are stuck in the, in the bodies of the, the, on the walls, so he can't open it. So he's, it might be he run from the back, the rear windshield. The truck belongs to Ace Electric, a business a few minutes away from the crash site. We tried to find out more about what happened, but we were told there was no one available to talk. As for the home, it's unclear when residents will be allowed back in, but neighbors say the baby will likely be released from hospital on Friday. Jill Bennett, Global News. To the Kootenai backcountry now, and an amazing end to the search for a Cranbrook woman missing in the Jumbo Pass area since the weekend. She's been found safe and sound. An emotional moment yesterday afternoon when Louise Baxter was flown out to safety. Last Sunday, she went for a hike with friends, but the 52-year-old and her dog Maverick got separated from the group. After 72 hours in the woods and an extensive search, she and her pup were found in good health, and they have since been reunited with family. We were just so elated to have her back and her family. It was a very emotional time, so it's such a wonderful ending, and the time and the effort that all the search teams and everybody put in it's such a great ending on vancouver island a memorial today for a former rcmp officer who fought sexual abuse and harassment on the force krista carley was remembered for her push for change and how she helped pave the way for others to step out of the shadows kylie stanton reports it's difficult to see through this smile but krista carley was struggling the former Nanaimo RCMP officer said she endured years of sexual harassment, assault and bullying from colleagues and superiors during her 19-year career with the force, scarring her with crippling post-traumatic stress disorder. In early July, she put an end to the pain. Krista did commit suicide. I don't want to say she died. We're hurt. We're devastated. But the impact she made in her 53 years was profound. Carly was one of several female officers who went public in 2011, paving the way for hundreds more to come forward. Krista was the first Me Too long before the Me Too movement. Speaking out resulted in a class action lawsuit 
and a $100 million settlement against the force. She's kind of like the pioneer, really, uh, for women's issues, her and many other women, and she was quite the advocate. But tangible change at the structural level of the RCMP has been slow. I think there still needs to be some work done with uh, victims and complainants, protection for them, and uh, some real safeguards so that if they come forward that their uh, complaints are going to be heard and uh, investigated properly. Now there's concern more lives will be lost. I don't know where we need to go next. We've taken this to the highest level of government, the highest level of court in, this, in the country, and we're here today celebrating the life of somebody that just couldn't stand another day. And it has to end. She was passionate about changing the world around her for the better. Without Carlay, victims may have lost a voice, but her legacy lives on. She served us well. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. An investigation is underway after a great blue heron was shot in Vancouver. Officials were alerted to the case after neighbors reported the injured bird. The species is classified as vulnerable and hunting them for any purpose is illegal. Linda Aylesworth has more. As many as 5,000 wild creatures in distress, many of them birds, are brought for rehabilitation to the Wildlife Rescue Association in Burnaby every year. Some are small and cute, others large and majestic, like the great blue heron. We get about ooh, maybe 40 herons a year that are injured. Um, they could have been hit by cars, hit by boats. But yesterday, they received a heron with an injury that was no accident. We received a report yesterday morning about an injured heron in the Southlands area of Vancouver. It was reported that the heron was shot and uh, still in the area and still suffering from an injury to its right wing. It was already drooping the wing when it was standing up and it has a big uh, callus, which means a couple of days ago it was broken. So there's a pellet under there? This isn't the first time they've seen such an injury in a heron. Last year there was a similar case and the year before that. Did they survive? They did not. They, right at, uh, at their initial exam, it was quite clear that their injuries were very severe. Broken, shattered bones. But the outcome is more promising for this latest victim of cruelty. The question, why would someone shoot it in the first place? I have no idea. They're magnificent birds. The only nuisance calls that we get once in a while is that they like to fish in uh, backyard ponds. Great blue heron are listed as a vulnerable species, and so it's both a provincial and federal offense to harm them. There are witnesses to the shooting, and the conservation officer services on the case. Really at this point, the investigation is for us to find all the facts, and then we'll recommend the charges and go from there. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Roadside donation bins are an effective way to recycle everything from clothes to toys, but some people say they've become a neighborhood eyesore. In Vancouver's west side, residents say the bins are a safety issue, attracting some bad behavior. Here's Aaron MacArthur. Overflowing with debris, a donation bin near the corner of 41st and Granville getting a much-needed cleaning. Unwanted belongings are being removed, but not the used syringes lying about. Jane Bryans walks by here every day. She says it's disgusting. I see mostly a mess. It, it is just disgraceful. The bins, an easy place for people to dump illegally, and the mess usually compounded by homeless people sifting through the piles looking for anything of value. John Tuchin is worried someone is going to get stuck by a needle. 
We've got elementary kids here. We've got the ideal school next to them, and then we have the high school right here. And a lot of these kids go down that sidewalk. And if a needle's on the ground, you know, it could go through a running shoe. The bin in Marpole residents are concerned about was managed by Big Brothers Canada. According to emails, it was removed, but another still in place with several charities listed on the front. Well, we're just going to have to be persistent. We'll have to get the police down here. Vancouver Coastal Health says used syringes are a low-risk item. Only about 2% of all needles are discovered disposed of in public. We've never had a case of a transmission of a communicable disease from a needle sharp in the community in Vancouver. The bins pose a significant danger to people. There have been several deaths, including one just a few weeks ago. Residents and homeless advocates asking for the bins to be redesigned or just removed altogether. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. A warning from North Vancouver RCMP tonight for people living in apartment buildings that have construction scaffolding around them. Police say thieves have broken into two North Vancouver apartments over the last several weeks. The culprits were able to get into upper floors using the scaffolding set up outside. The Mounties say someone entered second and third floor apartments through open patio doors and stole personal items including wallets and purses. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Police in southern Ontario are looking for a man who sexually assaulted a woman while she mowed her lawn. You see, he sneaks up behind her and grabs her. The woman can then be seen confronting the man before he runs off. Police say the suspect and victim were not known to each other. It all happened in a quiet residential neighborhood in Aurora over the weekend, and police are releasing the video now in hopes of identifying the suspect. A dramatic twist in the case of a pregnant woman and her two young daughters who went missing in Colorado earlier this week. After pleading for information on camera, her husband is behind bars tonight as the prime suspect in their mysterious disappearance. From father and husband to triple murder suspect, arrested overnight, Chris Watts is accused of killing his pregnant wife, Shanann, and their two daughters, three-year-old Celeste and four-year-old Bella. It just seems like I'm, I'm living in a nightmare and I can't get out of it. After playing yeah. the grieving husband, a law enforcement source tells our Denver affiliate Watts confessed to killing his family. Local media says he led investigators to where he dumped the bodies, the oil and gas company where he worked. We have been able to recover um, a uh, body that we're quite certain is uh, Shanann Watts. We have uh, strong reason to believe that we know where the bodies of the children are. Not yet releasing a motive, investigators are building a timeline. Shanann Watts arrived home from a business trip at 2 a.m. Monday. Chris Watts says he left for work around 5 a.m. It's unclear how Shanann and the kids were murdered, but investigators say it happened at home. I just want them people to know that I want my family back. On Facebook, Shanann's brother writing, I just want to know why. My precious family, Bella, Celeste, and her soon-to-be-found-out unborn son, Nico. My husband and I had two beautiful girls. Tonight, an unspeakable crime. A father of two accused of killing three. 
Miguel Almaguer, NBC News. In Health Matters tonight, a new warning for contact lens users. Make sure you take them out before you go to bed. A new report from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention says sleeping in contact lenses increases the risk of an eye infection by six to eight times. The report says up to one-third of people who wear lenses sleep in them. They suggest you give your eyes a break and take the contacts out even if you're just having a nap. Some incredible video just released by the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection shows just how powerful and deadly the fires raging in California can be. It shows a massive fire tornado forming as the inferno moved towards the city of Redding back on July 26th. Officials now say a fire NATO, as they're known, was behind the death of one firefighter. The car fire burning in Northern California is now over 70% contained. Well, despite the uh, persistent smoky skies around, uh, around here, some people still aren't getting the message that the fire danger is high across the province. So the Outdoor Research Council of BC is launching a new campaign to remind people just how much it costs to fight wildfires. As Ted Chernecki reports, they're hoping the visual reminder will really sink in. They've since taken these signs down for environmental reasons, but it's hoped many, many hikers saw them and the message resonated. Just the slightest absent-mindedness these days could cost you personally, now up to a million-dollar fine. We use this, uh, these big price tags as uh, something that was eye-catching to grab people's attention and draw them in to start a conversation about sort of the bigger picture issue. It sounds dry. It looks dry because it is dry, not just on the surface, but several centimeters below, which is unusual for the North Shore. And yet you can find discarded cigarette butts every few dozen meters. I picked up probably about 100 butts the other day. Just the other day? Yeah. And did they think they were fairly fresh or were they old butts? No, they were fresh. Fifteen years ago, the McClure-Berry air fire was started by Mike Berry, who admitted he carelessly discarded a cigarette and he was fined $3,000 for it. But now that wildfires have increased dramatically, so too have the fines. The lower mainland has already escaped a couple of human-started fires, one in Richmond and the other just north of Horseshoe Bay. And it's drier now than it was then. If you find something, if you see something, call 911 right away. I don't... Don't wait, don't hesitate. We are there to, to, to check it out and make sure it's safe. Yeah, and uh, rather one false alarm than uh, one alarm too late. Because of some overnight dew and higher humidity, the fire danger on the North Shore is only high today, but it's expected to be elevated to extreme in the next few days, joining the rest of the Lower Mainland's fire risk status. Last year, I think it was 54% of wildfires were human-caused, so that's a huge um, number. That's a very large number of wildfires that are preventable, and I think that's the take-home message. Adding to the risk is that the wildfires in the interior are starting to draw firefighting resources from the Lower Mainland. Ted Schnecke, Global News. A Partridge family legend sneaking around record stores. What he did during a recent visit to Vancouver. Right after Christie's forecast, we'll check in with her now. Everybody keeping an eye on the weather and the smoke that uh, thankfully, at least around here, cleared a little bit today, Christy.
That's right. So some nice onshore flow today helped clear that smoke out across the south coast. Vancouver Island uh, no longer under the air quality advisory. Here's a look at what it, it looks like on the tower cam today. Still some haze out there, but certainly some blue sky, which we didn't see for the last three days. This was when it, the smoke was at its worst on Tuesday. And you can see, I mean, the sun wasn't even able to uh, brighten things up. Today, a lot brighter with that blue sky. This was a NASA satellite image on Tuesday. You can see how thick the smoke was uh, across the south coast as well, southern Vancouver Island and Metro Vancouver. Yesterday, we started to see a bit more westerly flow that transported that smoke into Alberta and Saskatchewan. And this is the scene today, that smoke now transported all the way into northern Ontario. Although we've got so many fires in our province that we are still seeing significant smoke in the interior regions, despite that transport from that westerly flow in the jet stream. As we head into the We've got a blocking pattern that's set to develop. This is the type of upper-level ridge we've seen day after day, bringing hot, dry conditions with no change in sight. And that is not good news, both on the smoke side of things as well as the fire side of things. We need a shift in the weather pattern to really help the situation and bring in some rain. So there's your forecast for tomorrow, 24 in Prince George, smoky conditions, widespread smoke from BC Peace River through the central interior and all the way through the south again. So really, really smoky in these areas. The south coast, though, a pleasant day. You can expect to wake up to a fair amount of cloud, and it may be a bit uh, brisk in the morning, actually, with that cloud cover uh, onshore flow. Tomorrow afternoon, though, clearing out nicely, lots of sunshine, but not warming up much, about 25 degrees away from the water, but at least that blue sky. I expected. Saturday is when we will see that upper level blocking pattern that will redevelop. So potentially by Sunday and into Monday, when we start to see the heat across here in the south coast, we'll see the smoke return as well. This is a nice shot from uh, Romero in uh, the Fraser Lake area showing the water bombers. So Chris, uh, really a nice change here across the south coast, although it won't last long. I think it will redevelop over the weekend, but still tough times in the interior. Love that shot of the Fireboss airplanes as well. Okay, thanks a lot for the update there, Christy. If you sprint, you can make it into the studio a little bit later. Hey, you never know what kind of hidden gem you may find hidden at your local record store. This is the scariest one of all time. We're in downtown Los Angeles and there's security guards everywhere. 70s child star Danny Bonaducci, who is also a Seattle radio jockey right now, has been sneaking around leaving his mark in music stores. He's signing old Partridge Family albums, all without mentioning it to the stores. He's even popped up in Vancouver, where his son provided cover while he signed with a Sharpie. Vinyl Records on Hastings says they had no idea until they saw Bonaducci's tweet. When I saw how sneaky he was about signing it, I thought, wow, that was really clever. What's really incredible is that he found the section because I have a very in-depth alphabetical or double alphabetical rock section. The album was quickly scooped up and Love Jones, as she's known, says the woman who bought it was a big Partridge Family fan. Love Jones, sorry, was the guy quoted there. But uh, yeah, apparently the lady saw the tweet, raced into the store. Picked up the album. Cool. <laughs> what do you think? I'm not so sure how much that is worth. Even I don't with know. Danny Bonaducci's signature. I guess it does move the needle a bit. Yeah. We'll see. I listened to him. Actually, I went down to Seattle um, uh, to do some golfing. I listened to him on the radio. He was a good disc jockey. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's uh, been on the air. Hazy OK. Now.
classic rock in Seattle. And you sprinted. You made it. <laughs> to talk a little bit about the, P- mm-hmm. the PNE, obviously a, a beloved summer tradition for us. In just two short days, we're going to throw the doors open to our 108th PE Fair. The fair at the PE runs for 15 days. It attracts over 3 million visitors, and this year it's celebrating a lot of milestones, including the 50th anniversary of the Pacific Coliseum, the 60th anniversary of the wooden roller coaster, and the 40th year of one of the most loved attractions at the fair, the Super Dogs. Year in and year out, people come and see the dogs. And the secret of our show is that we have tri-generational. Right now, grandparents are bringing their grandkids to see something they brought their kids to. It's just filled with warmth and happiness every time we do a show. Lions love the home cooking. Eating on the road, not so much. No, well, sometimes get a little homesick. Yep. Yeah. Plane doesn't doesn't travel very well with no. you. you. Got to bring out the barf bag. I know you're eating, but I had to say it anyway. <laughs> uh, when it comes to traveling this year, the Lions have actually looked more out of sorts than that guy in the Travago commercials. And this Saturday, they are trying to avoid becoming roadkill for a fifth time this year with a game in Toronto. Now, it's quite simple math. If you can't win away from home, you will be losing half of your regular season games. And when you do that, you don't usually make the playoffs. You can't make the playoffs if you're constantly homesick. No matter where the Lions have gone this year, be it Edmonton or Winnipeg, a trip to the nation's capital, or just over to Calgary, they've had nothing but bad times. And losing all four of their road games so far this year is really starting to bother them. Yeah, it does. you know, it always feels good to be a road dog and to go into somebody else's house and, and win and steal one. And we've had the opportunities. You know, they've been there. You know, it's a sense of urgency for us to go out, you know, play road game and play winning football on the road because when you look at it, in order to win the Grey Cup, you got to win in the Edmonton. So that's on the road too. So uh, we want to build up to get to that point at the end of the season, but we got to, you know, take those learning experiences now and try to get a win on the road. If the Lions were as troubled at home as they are on the road, they'd already be out of the playoff race. But they have been perfect at BC Place. And that revenge win last week against Edmonton, that might give them the confidence heading into Toronto to break this road drought. I mean, anybody who thinks that, uh, you know, this team might relax after that, I mean, we, we have no time to relax, right? We have huge motivation uh, to go find a way to win a road football game. We're playing a team that's coming off some momentum, right? They feel better about themselves than they did a week or two ago, and we know that, and they're the defending champs. And they got a lot of guys over there that can play regardless of their record, so it's going to be a tall, tall task for us. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, our motivation is internal. we got to go find a way to win, win a road game. Well, Eugenie Bouchard, as we mentioned, Told them on the weekend she's going to come and play at the Audlin Open. Audlin Brown make that Vancouver Open. She got uh, Katarina Kozlova in the second round. And Kozlova was the number one seed. But Bouchard took her down in the first set, 6-4 loss. The second set, 7-5, but had a big third set, 6-1. So Jeannie is sticking around. And this was the end of the first set, if you're wondering. Nope, net. All right, today, oh, oh, banana disaster for Denis Shapovalov. He was taking on Milos Ronich, the Canadian boys facing each other in Cincinnati. Just the second time they have played each other. They did earlier this year, and Shapovalov won, but that was on clay. 
This is hard court, so Ronich was the favorite in this one. Nice point there for Shapovalov. Ronich, this is still first set. He's gonna go down the line on his little Canadian buddy. And then Ronich will win the first set, 7-6. Second set now, watch this, down 5-4, Shapovalov has to save himself with a rather acrobatic backhand right there. Another look. But the older, more experienced Milos Ronic avenged that loss to Shapovalov earlier this year. No, 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 no. He's going to get that one. He wins it in straight set, 7-6. Four. Start to the Brad Snedeker at the Wyndham Championship, round number one. Bogeyed the first hole. Remember that. Bogeyed the very first hole. Oh, that's in for, for an eagle from the fairway. He birdied the first hole and then just went nuts. That was the sixth hole you just saw. Here's the seventh hole. This is his next shot, tee shot. Puts this one to within birdie range. When he got to his final hole of the day, he needed this putt for a 59. For 59. Look at this. Count it. Wow. First guy to shoot under 60 while bogeying the first hole. His high five was terrible, though. Uh, Nick Taylor, five under, tied for 11th. So, Brant Snedeker, the, um, was he the 10th person? 10th person mm -hmm. to break 60 in a PGA event. The last person before him, Adam Hadwin. Yeah. Good. Go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Here's Andrew now with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight, Anne. Thanks, Chris. Search and rescue crews in Alberta have found a body and the wreckage of a plane northwest of Edmonton. Crews have been searching the area for a missing Cessna since Sunday. And Surrey RCMP are appealing for witnesses to an alleged groping attack on a woman in the area of 111A Avenue and 161A Street. The man is described as white, 5'8", with a medium build. He took off in a black 2000 Chevrolet pickup with silver convex rims. We'll have more on that story when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. Chris. All right, we'll check in a little bit later. Thanks very much. Tributes pouring in all day to honor the Queen of Soul. We'll have more on her passing just ahead. But first, here's Kasia Badurka with five things to do this weekend. Kasia? Yeah, this weekend we pay homage to the fruits of Mother Nature. And we kick things off with the Bees and Blueberries Festival in Pitt Meadows. Take part in the Blueberry Pie Eating Contest, take a free pony ride, and watch a bee beard performance, among other entertaining acts. If your palate's more savory, the 10th Annual Garlic Festival in Richmond is for you. Expect locally grown food, kids entertainment, live music, garlic, ice cream, and of course, the star of the event, over a thousand pounds of locally grown garlic for sale. Talk about all-inclusive, the Delta Community Animal Expo invites you, the whole family, and your fur buddy to join in on the fun. There will be games and competitions, food trucks for the humans, and exotic animals as well. Rock Ambleside, Vancouver's classic rock festival, begins tomorrow. The lineup this year includes Trooper, Kim Mitchell, Loverboy, and Nazareth, to name a few. Clear or cloudy, starry night at Dees Island Regional Park will impress. Explore the park along lantern-lit paths, learn about the park's creatures, and make a wish upon a star. For more, head to globalnews.ca slash five things.
Five Things to Do is brought to you by BCAA. Get a BCAA membership and save with our many partners. Plus, get the best roadside assistance. Coming up on ET Canada, we remember inspiring words of wisdom from the late Aretha Franklin. Plus, we celebrate Madonna's milestone as the living legend turns 60. That's coming up at 7, right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Sangeeta. We'll stay on the Aretha Franklin topic. People across the globe are paying tribute to the Queen of Soul tonight. Franklin finally succumbing to pancreatic cancer today at the age of 76. An early musical prodigy, she continued to thrill audiences almost until the end with a voice like no other. Mike Armstrong has a look back at her unparalleled career. There was in her from day one a mixture of enormous ability and absolute confidence. Aretha Franklin made it look easy. One songwriter said she would tear a song apart and put it back together and make her version the standard. It was Otis Redding that wrote and originally recorded Respect, but it was Franklin that made it an anthem. By the numbers, 75 million records sold, 18 Grammys, and the first woman to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. As an artist, she was relevant for more than half a century, but since the heyday of American Bandstand, she's been considered a legend. You are an un- unbelievable. I didn't embarrass you when I call you a legend. Does that bother you? No. Because I mean that that you, there aren't enough words to describe you. Aretha Louise Franklin was born in Memphis, Tennessee in 1942. Her father was a prominent and somewhat controversial preacher and the family moved when she was 2. She grew up in the north end of Detroit. One of her childhood friends was Smokey Robinson. He was a bit older than her, but would say by the time she was seven years old, it was obvious she was a prodigy. We should have been a duo. I'm telling you, it's not too late. Now, it was a life that could have gone sideways early. Franklin had her first child when she was just 12 years old and her second when she was only 14. She followed that up with some very troubled marriages. But none of it stopped her from putting together an illustrious career, performing for popes and presidents, and sometimes even bringing tears to their eyes. Whitney Houston was once asked what made Aretha Franklin the Queen of Soul. She said you couldn't describe it, you could only feel it. Well, if you want to find Aretha Franklin on Rolling Stone's list of 100 greatest singers of all time, you'll have to scroll past Joplin, Jagger, and Tina Turner, past Lennon and McCartney, Elvis, and Ray Charles. You'll find Aretha at number one. One thing she wasn't missing was something she sang about. Respect. Nice piece by Mike Armstrong and the uh, Queen of Soul linked forever to the King dying on the same day. Yeah. As Elvis. Oh, same day as Elvis Presley, yeah. Quite amazing. She was great. If you just go on YouTube, you don't know much about her. If you're too young to have seen her before, go on YouTube and watch. Even if it's old music, 
Yeah. The singing is incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for watching us. Have a great evening.